Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Today we're talking about the general state of the market. We'll get into a bit of economic play. We'll talk about the RBA and interest rates and what's happening out there. We'll talk about renting versus buying, which one's going to be better for us at this present time. There's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of media putting negative spins on things. So we'll go into detail as to whether that's fact or fiction. So looking forward to thrashing this one out. Let's do it. So are we renting or are we buying, Emily? It's a, it's a hot topic and I don't know about you, but I have a lot of people saying, did you see the news? Did you read the newspaper? Did you see this? Did you see that? Online forums going crazy. Uh, blood on the streets. Are you feeling that or is that just my friends and family and colleagues doing that to me? I am feeling an element of that for sure, but I must say there seems to be an overwhelming uptake of inquiry and I guess curiousness from a lot of people about should I buy Like, you know, while I know what I can afford and I can get in and I can weather this storm, should I be buying? And yeah, I think for those who do proper research and educate themselves, they know how to make the right decision for themselves rather than buying into the media hype. Yes. I think the biggest thing about the media, right, with all these rate rises, and I know that you've got um, some thoughts and feelings about this, but uh, certainly what they fail to really articulate is the rate rises are drastically impacting the people who currently hold a mortgage. Those who don't currently hold a mortgage, i.e. prospective house hunters and home buyers, they're actually in a pretty good position because they're coming in with a higher rate than what people bought with two years ago. They're actually probably a little bit more conservative and I feel like they're actually better informed than people who went into it on really low rates two years ago. They are. They've got they've got more to play with, haven't they? And they, they might potentially get themselves a discount. The thing I'm concerned about is how much are they actually saving per month to be able to get themselves into the market for that first time? Um, so, yeah, you, you're right. It's um, it's different times to what it was 12 months ago, two years ago. And and you're also right in the sense that I've got some uh, clear thoughts around this and, and I want to sort of maybe get to those now. Um, generally, consumer sentiment, right, the consumer out there, which is you and me and everyone else, it's at its lowest since 2008, right? So that tells us that there is a lot of concern out there. Now, as I was speaking to someone last week, is it actual concern for you as an individual or is it general concern that the media is putting on us? Either way, the general consumer is not comfortable about the state of affairs. Now, we've had nine interest rate increases in the last 12 months or whatever it is, right? I'm glad you've kept track because I have no idea. Like there's just so many that it's just like, is that what we're up to? It's just another day. (laughs) 
and it, and that's that part of it's unforeseen, right? Now the problem I have it that I'll go through in a minute, but there was a survey from ANZ, Ray Morgan, and also Westpac and Melbourne Institute that said one in eight have missed a repayment already. Okay, Ooh. so that's quite a number, but it gets worse. Half have missed multiple repayments, and one in four said they had simply run out of money. Now, it comes back to, well, how do we divide up our money? And if paying the mortgage is the last thing we do, then we need to restructure it in a way that's a little bit smarter than that. The roof over our head invariably is the most important thing, I would think, other than food and drink. 15% believe they would miss future repayments if rates rise. So that's quite a number as well. Right. Now, I don't know how many they've surveyed and who they surveyed across the, the country, but we can only go on what, um, what stats have been released. So there's a concern there that it, it's already taking effect. There's already a, an effect, but where, and we'll talk about what we're seeing on the ground at the moment, but we're not seeing property prices drop dramatically. We're not seeing 25, 30% reduced prices from, say, 12 months ago, uh, where we're looking anyway. That's a concern, Emily. I, I hear and sense your concern. And I think probably the fundamentals around some of the data that you've just uh, spoken about there is my biggest concern is around, okay, it's one in eight at the moment who have missed a repayment. How quickly will that jump to two or three or four? It's quite concerning that people are clearly at a bit of a breaking point with their funds and their ability to service their mortgage with these rate rises and the trickle on effect of that. I think a lot of people mentally go, well, if people can't afford their mortgage and they sell, and then there's going to be these bargain uh, purchases, that is not necessarily the case. I think that's what people are hopeful for, which is, it's a bit tricky being hopeful that someone's in financial distress and you can get a bargain. That's not really the equation, um, particularly when we're in the supply and demand issue. But yeah, it is concerning when you read out the stats like that. And I think if people aren't prioritising shelter as their number one financial commitment, or if they are and they can't meet that commitment, then we're in serious trouble. Yeah, that's right. And, And the general synopsis is, well, tenants can't afford to live. In, in a lot of cases, mortgage holders are, are feeling the pinch and investors are disadvantaged because of uh, maybe stamp duty costs and, and deposits to, to get in, uh, but also reduced borrowing capacity due to interest rates, right? So if we look at the housing shortage that's evident, right, the only ones that can change the housing shortage is basically new houses, which is either the mortgage holder or a new mortgage holder, or an investor, right? So if a lot of those are sitting on the fence or unable to physically go and buy, then that's not fixing the housing shortage. Therefore, the rents are going to continue to be pushed up. So that's a whole lot to take on board. And inflation, I suppose, I don't want to get into the whole political thing and and the economics of it, but I will for a little bit. The government's response to reducing inflation is to increase interest rates, right? So uh, 12 months ago, give or take, inflation was at five, five and a half percent. Now it's sitting at 8%. And nine interest rate rises later, inflation isn't budging. It's not coming down at the rate that they thought. Now there's obviously going to be some lag because of consumer spending and getting some stats from the previous quarter and whatever else we get that, right? But the government's got to be thinking of something different other than just 
putting up interest rates and letting everyone else deal with it. And unfortunately, in, in property and, and buying property and distressed property, those that are first hurt or, or those that are first feeling the pinch and have to hand their property back in or, or sell their property is the lower socio, unfortunately, because they are the ones that have the capped incomes and, um, and, and maybe stretch themselves to begin with to get into their property. So they're the ones that are first hit in lower socio regions. And then there's the ill-informed that maybe didn't know their numbers or their cash flow on the way in and didn't forecast any of this stuff sort of happening. So they're the two areas that are going to be hit first and are already getting hit. Um, and then the issue, the next level is if they're forecasting two or three more interest rate rises, the next level is the what I call the average mum and dad homeowner, right? Now, they're the, the nurses, the plumbers, the teachers, the physios, the, the person in marketing, the administrator, the mortgage broker, whoever it is, right? That's the average person that's living around the country. If they start to get hit, now we've got blood on the streets. I totally agree with you there. And I think what you're alluding to and what I'm keen to unpack in more detail is just simply putting rate rises every time, you know, raising the cash rate every single time to combat this growth of inflation really isn't working. So what else can the powers that be be doing? Because otherwise we're going to have a whole new problem on our hands, which is people not being able to afford mortgages. So then therefore selling up but then can't get into the rental market because the rental market's so tight. And we have a pretty bad housing crisis for lack of supply. So, John, if you were a higher power, if you were a power at B, <laughs> what would you do? What would you implement? Well, first of all, and, and the other thing that I read this morning was CBA uh, – their profits came out for the six monthly figure. Here we go. <laughs> six monthly. Uh, so CBA's uh, profits came out into the media of late. Five point one five billion was their net profit over the previous six months. So that's the first thing I'll be doing is taking some of that and putting it back in and say, what CBA who own probably almost 70% of all mortgages say, right, give us some love with the interest rates to begin with. You don't need to be uh, taking that. That's just great, right? And they, out of all their mortgages, 71% are owner-occupiers. So all the mortgages, all the lending that they give, 71% of them are owner-ocs. Now, that doesn't affect the investors too much. It's, again, the ones I come back to is the average mum and dad are the ones that are going to get hurt here. So, it's above my pay scale to be governor or prime minister or whatever, right? But <laughs> I think we just need to be thinking outside the box. Like we do as business owners and, and employees and everyone else, we've got to think strategically and not just say, well, let's just jack up interest rate rises. Um, the the two biggest, I suppose, consumer items at the minute that have taken a hike is is food and petrol. And, and Glenn and I have spoken about this on the main show, but Petrol increases have come about because of the war in the Ukraine, right? So how about we remove the fuel excise like we did through COVID? Um, there's 45 or 46 cents straight away back into people's pockets. Um, food prices, a lot of that increases due to the, the shortage um, through the pandemic and the extreme weather events. So we've got all these things that are out of our control. Interest rates rising is not going to, to help that um, by any means. So yeah, what would I do? Don't know, Emily, but I just wanted to go on a rant and just explain to people my thoughts about 
interest rate rises and the state of the country at the minute because something needs to change pretty quickly. I agree and I think over time it will but the question will be will it be quick enough to save collateral damage in the process and that's where you know when you hear about CBA's profit don't get me wrong I mean they're a business they've got to they've got to have profit it's a lot of profit though I mean they could maybe let people just have a month off their mortgage repayments <laughs> you know it seems they've got enough cash floating around <laughs> no but in all seriousness I do think and I'm sure it's on the radar of the people in policy and people who make these decisions in terms of rate rises that if they don't act quick enough and because the data is so lagged, we could have a lot of collateral damage in the process that could quite simply be avoided if people are onto it quick enough and understand the dynamics at play, but also have a sense of what's going on on the ground. Like, have you seen the lines for rental inspections? Have you seen the overcrowding of share houses? You know, have you seen people deciding whether to have a hot meal for dinner or keep the aircon on at night like it's you know people are having to make decisions that financially impact them and their lifestyle which is yeah it's not nice to think about no absolutely and i think it comes back to values and priorities doesn't it and and not a lot changes from an individual's cash flow management position we're still understanding what's coming in and out each month how we're prioritizing that might change a little bit we've still got our emergency funds we've we're still doing all these things that we should be doing anyway it's just that we've got a different climate uh, in which we're working with uh, we may need to pull the reins in on areas that weren't as much of a priority as other things and and as, as we've said before the roof over our head and food on the table is is definitely number one. But I suppose um, after all that rant and piffle, and if you're still listening, uh, we're going to take a break in a minute and then we're going to come back and talk about should we rent or should we purchase. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Okay. The great old question of whether we rent or buy, and it is a very poignant. Is that a word? Mm, it'll do. <laughs> okay. It's very. It's a question that's front of mind, is what I'm trying to say for a lot of people, because it's now actually an equation of it's not so much what it used to be with the rates being so low and rents being sort of mediocre. And it's like, well, if I'm renting, I may as well buy because it's so affordable mm. to take out a mortgage. Now it's actually the opposite. It's that the rents are so high, they've jacked up out of nowhere. And yes, rates for a mortgage are higher, but on balance, am I better to buy than rent? This is the question that are playing on a lot of Australians' minds at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and the great Aussie dream is is obviously own your own home and, and pay it off and live happily ever after. Uh, there's so many hybrid versions of that nowadays. So we'll, we'll talk about parental guarantor in a moment, but let's look first of all against the pure numbers of it. And I like to say, well, what's it costing me per week in rent versus what it would cost me per week in mortgage repayments to the bank? Not the principal, just the interest, right? So let's take $600 a week in rent, which is cheap in some areas. Um, that's 30 grand a year, give or take. And against a 550k loan at 5% is also around about that number, just a slight, slightly bit higher, right? So that's what we're working with today. So we're asking ourselves, well, if, if I can get a mortgage that's less than 550, then I'm ahead if the rent was going to cost me $600 in that particular region, right? Now, that's just obviously a, a global figure. So the next part of it is, well, do we want to live in our own home? Or because that area that we might be able to get into is not really an area that we want to live anyway, um, versus saying, well, let's go and rent somewhere uh, that where we would desire and we can afford and then go and invest somewhere else, which is essentially the, the rent vesting philosophy. So what are you seeing, Emily? Are you seeing a lot more buyers not be able to buy because their servicing has been reduced? I am seeing a little bit of that with certainly people who I spoke to maybe mid last year, so mid 2022, and now revisiting the whole buying scenario early 2023. And it, it has shifted a fair bit and the market hasn't dropped near as much as what the borrowing capacity has dropped. So they're in a bit of a uh, period of adjusting their expectations of what's doable. Do we change the amount of bedrooms? Do we change the location? Do we go for a renovator instead of something that's, you know, done? So those parameters are starting to change. But I have never experienced so much inquiry for apartment purchases uh, yep. in, in inner Melbourne. And it's interesting because the narrative around apartments has always been that they're, you know, a bad investment. You should buy land and why would you buy an apartment? But it's interesting that the demand is coming out of desperation. And so I think whilst borrowing capacities have been impacted, it still affords an apartment. And the question then becomes, is that the best purchase that we could make? Yeah, so they're, they're buying out of desperation to go and buy something that they're, they're not 100% okay with, but it gets them in the, in the door and it gives them a roof over their head and, and security, right? The, the question then remains is, is that going to be an asset that they're, number one, will perform for them from a wealth creation point of view, but number two, they can live in comfortably for the next eight to 10 years, and what's happening in your life in that period, i.e., do we meet someone? Are we going to have a family? If we do have a family, how long can we live 
in this two-bedroom apartment, for example? Is is that the, the conversations you're having? Um, or from an owner-occupier point of view, it's just like, well, okay, this is what I want. This is my brief. This is the price I can afford. Go and find it for me. It's a bit of both, to be honest, but I would say the majority though are certainly people who are wanting a two-bedroom apartment for the next three to five years. They're happy to live in it, reside in the area they want to live in and live their life and hope that over time they could turn it into an investment property. Um, That's probably key. And then uh, on the other side of the fence, it's more around thinking about, you know, potential future wealth creation, whatever that might look like. If they could rent vest, they would, but the rental market is just so crazy that it's it's making it very difficult. Yeah, and it's a it's a different version that no one's really experienced before, isn't it? Like it's not just a case of rent vest versus go and buy your own home because the rent vesting option in some cases is off the table. So do we say what mum and dad used to say to me and say, well, toughen up, go and live somewhere else? Like, uh, or do we do we say, well, okay, something's got to give. Is it my lifestyle or my wealth creation? Like that's probably where it's come to for a lot of people at the minute. Do we have to press pause on one of those for the sake of not survival in the real terms, but let's get through this period? Yeah, agree. And then there's also alternative, you know, things around maybe share houses coming back, even in, you know, your early 30s. Yeah. Um, you, maybe you've done the share house thing through uni, you've had an apartment lifestyle, and now you're having to revisit, like, what does it mean to get in to an area that I want to live in, um, whether that be buy or rent, but on the rental side, can I see myself in a share house and share expenses and just just grin and bear it for a year or two just to weather the storm, which, you know, for some people that's a reality. Yeah, absolutely. And and for those out there that are in this position, we're, we're obviously feeling for you at the minute and we're, mm. we're here to help if there's anything that um, you need uh, questioning or, or help with, then feel free to reach out because it's an unfortunate position for a lot of Australians and it's not, and, and obviously homelessness and all that stuff is real and, and that. That's always been there, unfortunately, um, but it is getting worse and that's another level again. What we're talking about here is is like every everyday Australians are, are, are faced with this problem. Um, and Rachel from Sphere Home Loans was on the show a few weeks back and spoke about uh, banks holding their servicing and borrowing capacity through the pre-approval. So that's a positive in the sense that a lot of banks will say, right, uh, Emily, you can lend 500 grand. You've got the pre-approval for 90 days. At this stage, you've got the whole 90 days. You still be able to lend 500K even if the banks increase the interest rate. So that's that's a positive outcome from the point of view of going and searching for a property to buy or to uh, to live in or to, to invest. Um, but what other ways can we, I suppose, get into the market with some out-of-the-box thinking? Well, as you touched on earlier, guarantor loan is probably one of the key things being across the government incentives, which we've got a whole episode dedicated to as well. But interestingly enough, I've seen a lot of sibling purchases recently. Yes. Um, Yeah. So really important to have some clear parameters around the goal of that property, um, the exit strategy and the agreement that you enter into as siblings in ownership of that property. But uh, I must say it's on the rise, um, certainly the the um, and even friends as well doing joint ventures to sort of pull together to be able to get in 
are all, you know, alternative strategies that you could use, but it's probably dependent yeah. upon what works for you in your financial situation. Yeah. Look, we did a whole ebook and video on the whole joint venture thing. I love them. I've done probably three or four of them over the journey and, and I, I really like them. Um, so if you if you need a copy of that, just um, just reach out. But I don't mind the joint venture at all. We have the deposit, we have the servicing and holding costs, right? So we can't get into the market now. It gives us both maybe a house to live in if that's the if that's what you want, depending on the, the status and, um, and away we go. And then it's just finding strategic ways to move forward. Um, and, that, and that's the key. Parental guarantor is absolutely a favorite of mine as well. The ability just to say, look, mom or dad or uncle or auntie, because even though it says parental, it's it's actually blood. So if there's someone out there that is willing to, uh, I shouldn't say risk their house, but uh, use equity from that property to or, or cover the asset to buy your property, uh, you can get in with really no cash, but ideally 5% cash would be nice. Uh, and it gets you into the market sooner rather than later. And and that is a real favorite at the moment. We've, we're seeing a lot of clients buy uh, through parental guarantors at the moment who maybe 12 months ago would not have considered it because of... Um, ego or not uh, not not um, comfortable to ask mum and dad but now it's just pulling out all stops to to make it happen so john another trend i'm noticing which actually i think there's been a few articles in the financial review about this but mum and dad investors making their investment decision to be a property that their kids can live in probably at a reduced rent of some sort but it's more so the guarantee that that investment property will have a tenant that is their child and that they have security of where they're living. Um, It's a really, to be honest, most of it's actually coming from interstate buyers who want to diversify where they've got properties. Just so happens their children live in Melbourne. They're buying up a two-bedroom apartment, in some cases a house, and putting their kids in it for security. And I think that's uh, really interesting, a bit of a different spin on the parental guarantor. (laughs) It's a bit more involved. Yeah, totally. And coming from the country, that was quite common uh, where I grew up because kids would go away to boarding school or university in Ballarat, Geelong, Bendigo, Melbourne, and would actually go and buy, as you said, an apartment, a house, so that they can sleep at night because their kids can sleep at night in a and in a house that they're not going to get booted out of. So um, yeah, that that's a really good way to, I suppose, solve the renting component for son or daughter or said person. Uh, but I, I suppose. A lot of the media focus heavily on Sydney, Melbourne, and and rightly so for sale of newspapers and everything else and ads because it's basically, I don't know, 70% of the, the country's population. But for everyone else out there, country uh, and other capital city, prices aren't where they are in Sydney and Melbourne. So you might be listening in saying, well, what's going on? I can't understand it. I'm living fine. Like the, the rent's the rent's okay. I can manage it on my wage. I'm, I'm still saving money. I'm, I'm getting a deposit together or I'm, uh, I'm investing quite heavily at the minute. And there are some great opportunities to be had and we're, we're seeing it at the minute uh, in the various states that we're working in is we're able to pick up some, I wouldn't say uh, – heavy bargains, but we're picking up some good opportunities where someone is pretty keen to sell. On the back of 
maybe some two or three years of, of good growth. And if something's discounted by 30, 40K, it's not really hitting their bottom line because they've already made their 100, 150, 200K in that particular property. So uh, yeah, there's not a one size fits all around the country. Um, but if you're sitting there saying, I'm actually doing fine now and I'm about to buy my property or I'm, I'm renting okay and I'm saving some good coin, the opportunities over the next six months, I think, are, are very attractive. Yeah, I think the media is only one picture, right? Like, we've, and we've certainly spoken about probably the more negative side of what's happening at the moment, but that doesn't, that's definitely not a blanket rule for everybody. There could be people who are definitely in a good position, they've saved well, they're actively looking to purchase, um, and certainly in, in some pockets, not a bad time to be buying. I think, particularly with that sort of three to four year mark of growth, but also of loan maturity, some people locked in fixed rates for three, maybe yes. four years if they were lucky. And now they're coming up and being hit and they're sort of going, well, is this now viable? So if you could maximize your profit, you've made, you know, whatever it is, 100, 150K in three, four years and uh, you're selling mm. on, then yeah, there could be a good, good buying opportunity. Absolutely. And I've got a full confession to make. This morning, I realized that I had an investment property that's on a fixed loan that I didn't realize was on a fixed loan. Um, and I was quite surprised and uh, and happy about that. Uh, thankfully, I trust my mortgage broker to make the key decisions for me, maybe without my consent, I don't know. But uh, it's um, <laughs> it, it's the later in the year is when it is, uh, yeah, obviously a lot of those fixed rates are going to come off. And uh, we, the good news is for those people, and if you're one of them listening in, you've got time to navigate your way through this. So jump on a mortgage repayments calculator and see what sort of rates that you'll be paying come July or August, September, whenever it is, and you can actually forecast for that. It's not going to be a shock. You know when your expiry date is, so you can get ready for it. I think it's um, it's something that we all should be doing if we have got any fixed rates in place. That is also a note to self for me because I have <laughs> I have one coming up next month, and I have I think there's two coming up at the start of next year. So yeah, definitely got to get on that. Got to be prepared and. I think the biggest key in all of it is having a great mortgage broker on board. I know we mentioned this a lot in the show, but it's it's mentioned frequently for a reason. Having a great mortgage broker who is across these things, who can advise you correctly and navigate these turbulent times will actually be a key player in your success uh, long-term as well. So if you haven't got a mortgage broker at play, maybe you just went with your local bank for your first loan and you've just been riding that one, maybe go and check out the sort your money out page and look at the list of preferred brokers um, that the team work with, because I think it would be a great investment of time to speak to someone who knows what they're on about. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely worth the time to get the right team of people in your corner. Um, so I suppose in summary, if we're looking to buy our own home, we've got to think outside the box. So joint ventures, parental guarantors, going into a, a regional area, moving out of the ideal area for a few years just so you can say you can call it your own. Um, I've seen a lot of sea change, green change type scenarios where 
that couples and singles have just taken off out of the city and gone and lived in another region to be able to have a better lifestyle and better choices. And I, and I think that takes amazing courage, but it gives them experience in another area. They meet new people. They have different job opportunities. Like, so I encourage someone to, if you're really serious about this, to think strategically like that. And it's not for everyone, but the ability to go and, and go out of your uh, little area that you've grown up in and spent the last 20, 30 years in, it's quite refreshing for someone's uh, someone's mind and, and state. Indeed, and even a way to maybe trial that could even be around pet sittings become really popular and house sitting. You could even rent your current place out, get some cash flow from that and then go and try another area um, in that capacity. It would actually be great to hear from someone who is like a professional house sitter or pet sitter because you yes. effectively... In some cases, it's just like break even, like you get to live for free and you look after the pets. In other cases, you're actually paid for it as well as getting free accommodation. Totally. And that might even be something as people travel more, mm. that could be a way to combat this crisis of rental that we're in at the moment. 100%. And I actually had a couple uh, on a clarity call in the last few months that did that for a living. Um, I think he did it professionally or what you call it professionally just has been doing it for years and she jumped in on and thought that's a fantastic idea let's do this and and uh, yeah I'm going to reach back out to them and get them on um, because it is a great way to see the country and to live well roof over your head for for next to nothing isn't it other than look look after a dog or the lawns or the cat or whatever it might be so yeah there we, we have them it. on the show we <laughs> need to get them on so if you're listening in reach out to me and um, let's let's do this. All right, that's about a wrap. That's about a wrap. Uh, I think, you know, all in all, don't be afraid to reach out with questions or anything that might benefit you if you are finding it difficult at the moment. We know that there are people that are finding it a little bit tough financially. So we are here to support and the community is amazing on the Facebook group as well. So don't be afraid um, to post in there as well. There's so much support and so many ideas as well. Uh, so my millennial money Facebook page if you're not a part of it go and join and if you have any requests for specific episodes you'd like us to do or any experts you'd like us to get in please reach out and let us know what they are yep very good okay until next time take care We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I had the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.